0: Our scripture reading this morning is uh, taken from the book of Exodus. We're going to be reading in chapter 20, which is uh, one of the two recordings of the Ten Commandments in the scriptures. If you've been with us, you know that we've been looking at these commandments, one each week throughout the summer, and we're on the ninth, so you can do the math as to how much more we have to go. Listen to God's word from Exodus chapter 20. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Father, we're thankful for these, uh, your words. We're thankful that you promise that your spirit uh, comes along with these words to change our hearts, to change our perspective, to change our minds, to change our whole person. Father, we're thankful that your spirit has the power to do that. So we invite your Spirit to come in a unique way and speak to our hearts through your Word. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, watch the news uh, day in and day out. Sometimes I do. Uh, Sometimes I get a little too depressed to watch the news. But turn on the news at any point and you will find that sometimes truth is really hard to decipher. Sometimes truth is... Is really hard to come by. We live in a culture where alternative facts and fake news and post-truth are now all common adjectives whenever we think about reality. It seems like everyone has their own agenda or their own bias that they want to subtly and sometimes not so subtly communicate whenever they speak. Historians will tell you that we, even the way that we think about history is far more subjective than it is objective. Many of us today now get our news through social media, which doesn't always feel like it's as objective as it should be. So it feels like the truth is sometimes really, really hard to come by philosophers for centuries have been uh, asking the question and writing volumes on the question what is truth and in many ways you and i aren't any different we find ourselves asking that question in both really big ways and both little ways every single day is this mechanic we talked about this this morning with some friends is this mechanic true in his assessment of my car or is he trying to get extra money out of me? If I ask my friend whether this outfit is flattering, or my spouse whether this outfit is flattering, are they going to tell me the truth, or are they going to tell me some sort of fabricated thing that I want to hear? So these are daily questions that we ask surrounding the truth every day, but we also ask it in really big ways. What is the truth about human nature? What is the truth about human destiny? What is the true way that I am to live my life? See, the humanistic or secular approach to truth connects everything to verifiable fact and evidence. But what if the line between truth and deception runs even a little deeper than just facts? What if it is rooted in the very nature of God and who God is. This summer we've been looking at these 10 commandments and uh, we've seen that they are God's desire for his people. As a grateful response to their rescue, this is how God desired for his people to live and the same is true for you and I if you've been rescued by God, if you've experienced the salvation that comes from a relationship with God through His gracious gift, then this is how God wants you to live. This is His will for you to live. Out of gratitude, this is how He wants you to conduct your life. And this week's commandment is the ninth that says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. When you first think about it, it's important to remember the context in which God first gave these laws. Because the immediate meaning of this commandment is related to that context. Remember that these commandments were given to an ancient people group after they had just been released from 400 years of enslavement. Because they'd been enslaved for so long, once they were released from that They had no laws, they had no government, they had no ways of conducting their society. So certain standards had to be established for them. So this established that if someone brought a charge against another one, the witness was very important. They would bring an arbiter to any sort of case that came up. And back then there were no surveillance cameras, there were no DNA testing when it came to these sorts of things. So someone's word had to matter when it came to these cases. In fact, in the old laws, if someone was caught bearing false witness, then they would face the same punishment that the accused was facing. It was that serious back in their immediate context. Now, fast forward today. Of course, this applies to us in a judicial sense just as much as it did back then. But it clearly has a far deeper meaning than just a judicial meaning. And that meaning, that deeper meaning, relates to the nature of deception and truth. And there's a few things I'd like to look at when it comes to the deception and truth. And, and the first thing is really the, the most obvious and the thing that is not really surprising to any of us. And that is that deception has in many ways become normalized in our culture. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, National Geographic came, I, I still read this magazine each month, National Geographic uh, came out in, in, I think it was either June or July of this summer, and on the cover page, the cover story is Why We Lie. And the byline was this, Honestly, honesty may be the best policy, but deception and dishonesty are part of being human. And if you read the article, it talked about uh, kind of lots of famous liars uh, throughout history, and uh, it provided all sorts of research on how kids learn to become more sophisticated liars as they get older. And at the very end, the article came to this conclusion. It said this, Being deceitful is woven into our very fabric, so much so that it would be truthful to say that to lie is human. In fact, some of the research that this article uncovered is that the average person offers one to two big lies every single day. Now, if you read the scriptures, this should not come to us as any sort of surprise. All you have to do is go back to the book of Genesis. And when the book of Genesis opens up, Adam and Eve are given very specific instructions by God as to how they are to live in this garden that he has given to them. God comes to them and says this, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And then if you read just a couple verses later in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes along to Adam and Eve, and he says this. He says, Did God really say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve responds by saying this You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the garden, in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Now, it seems really subtle, but what's happening here is really important. First, the serpent. And then Eve took God's truth and they put an ever so slight deceptive spin on that truth. The reality is that we as humanity have been doing the very same thing ever since. When we think of lies, we often think about the big stuff, don't we? We think of athletes like uh, Lance Armstrong and Marion Jones, who both swore they were not taking performance-enhancing drugs and then later on are discovered to be great liars. Lance Armstrong lied with lots of bravado. Marion Jones lied through a smile. One of the sports writers said that even the brightest smile can hide a lie. Or we often think of stories like the story of Alex Santana. I don't know if you heard this, but in, in uh, the, the 1989 class, uh, freshman entering class at Princeton University, a young man started the school named Alex Santana. When he first gave his uh, application to the university, the, the, the admissions office was so impressed with his application. He had accomplished so many incredible things in his young life that uh, they immediately accepted him on the spot. He arrives months later at Princeton University, immediately starts getting straight A's and becomes the, one of the most honored students in all the university, until one girl who was in the freshman class took a second look at him and remembered him as Jay Huntsman, a dude she went to high school with back in California. And it was discovered that everything about his life was a sham. Everything about his life was a lie. So when we think about lying, we tend to think about these stories. We think about the big stuff. But more often than not, our deceptions are subtle twists on the truth. We admit a little thing here, or we embellish this little thing over here. Perhaps we flatter someone needlessly, or we cook up some slight little excuse why we can't do something we don't really feel like doing. You see, it's these slight turns away from the truth that started all the way back in the Garden of Eden that have become normalized in our culture today. The other thing that we see really is that deception is a fruit of the tongue, but it is rooted deeply into our hearts. Uh, our confession of faith talks about this idea of false witness, of bearing false witness, and how that that often is manifested in the tongue. And and often our confessions, and, and that's true of all churches, are really good at listing things. And our confession does this. It talks about all the verbal forms that lying can take. It talks about giving false evidence. It talks about pleading or defending for an evil cause, calling evil good and good evil. It talks about forgery and concealing the truth. It talks about undue silence in a just cause it talks about speaking the truth unseasonably to others it speaks of flattering boasting hiding excusing rumors slandering and on and on and on and on all these verbal ways that we manifest bearing witness bearing false witness Calvin said that we must not under any circumstance speak ill of our neighbor or say anything that would bring reproach or discredit against them. In fact, we break the commandment any time we broadcast evil, which ought to be quietly corrected without making any noise. See, friends, this is why when you get to James in the New Testament, he says that our tongue is a restless evil that is full of deadly poison. But all of this, friends, all of this is rooted in our hearts. See, many lies that we propagate often are aimed at promoting a false image of ourselves. You see, our lies are almost always for our benefit to make ourselves appear just a little bit better than we really are. In fact, one of the the research things that was highlighted in that National Geographic article is that 70% of all of our lies were aimed at either promoting or protecting ourselves. You see, the book of Romans talks about this. It tells us that in our rebellion, we know what is true, but we actively seek to suppress it. In effect, we exchange the truth of God for something that is less or something that is a lie. When we suppress or ignore God's truth about who we are and the nature of our world, we are forced to then construct our own truth. You see, if we don't build our identity from God and what God says about us, then we are forced to build it on our own. This is what I mean by this. You see, the gospel story tells us a lot about our identity. It tells us that we are profoundly sinful people who, because of that, merit or earn the judgment of God. It tells us that because of that, we are unable to save or rescue ourselves spiritually, so God chose to do it for us. He sent his son to suffer and to die in our place. So the truth of God about us is that we are profoundly sinful, but in the gospel we are profoundly loved. In the gospel we're transformed from being God's enemies to being his sons and his daughters. We are chosen, we are adopted, we are loved, and nothing can ever take that status away from us. And what the scriptures tell us is that has to be the fundamental truth that we root our entire identity in. But if we reject it, if we suppress it, if we ignore it, then we are left to ourselves to build our own identity. We will always be looking to somehow feel better about ourselves. We'll always be pushing to appear better or superior to others. We're trying to build our own righteousness and downplay our messiness. We need the affirmation and approval of others to feel better about ourselves. And so what do we do? We dissolve into all sorts of slight and little deceptions. We want to appear more put together than we really are. We develop an inordinate need for other people to need us and to think good of us and to acknowledge us, so we end up exaggerating, in many ways, our goodness. And we decide to hide just how messy we really are. Recently, I read a a great book, but a very sad one, called uh, What Made Maddie Run?, Uh, by a sports writer named Kate uh, Flanagan. And it tells a story about a young woman who uh, ran track for the University of Pennsylvania. And at the very end, uh, we learned that she tragically uh, took her own life at the beginning of her second semester of her sophomore year. It came as such a shock to everyone that she would take her own life because no one saw this coming. No one saw any of the warning signs that are typically associated with these thoughts and these acts. And anybody who interacted with her said she was just this incredibly upbeat and happy person all the time. Well, Maddie was especially really good at social media. She loved it in every little social media platform. She would spend hours crafting and filtering a persona On social media about how wonderful and cheerful her life really was but at the end of the day it was all a deception inside she was crumbling and few if any knew anything about the truth you see in many ways maddie was bearing false witness to who she truly was Social media really gives us the ability to craft a persona about ourselves that is often this subtle and slight departure from what is really true. In fact, a a clinical psychologist named Larry Rosen argues that with these sorts of things, there becomes a dangerous gap between the front stage you— and the real backstage you. And the danger is that the cyber airbrushed person starts to elbow out the real you, the real person who you are. But friends, let's be honest, we don't need social media to do these sorts of things. Our subtle and slight deceptions can build for us a filtered reality That is far from true we can deceive people we deceive because people can't really know the truth about us and so we bear false witness to who we truly are but when we discover the gospel it frees us up from having to fashion an identity ourselves instead we are given a new identity that can never be taken away from us. What the gospel does is it frees us up to be honest about the true nature of who we really are. We need no longer live for other people's approval because we already have the gracious approval of a loving God. And when we embrace the gospel, we live inside of that truth. And when we do, we discover that truth is love in action. You see, when we no longer need the pr- approval of other people, we are then freed up to no longer need them, but now to love them in the truth of the gospel. It frees us up to speak in loving and concrete and truthful ways to others. You see, ever since the Garden of Eden, our world has been characterized by a struggle for truth. And trying to find truth often feels like groping in the dark, not sure of where we really are. And that's why the gospel writer John opens up his gospel by saying this, the word, other places translated truth, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and in truth. You see, friends, in a world of have truths and fake news and lies and alternative facts and daily deceptions, Jesus came. He came into this world. He came into the world full of truth. He came as the embodiment of truth itself. And so John the Gospel writer says this to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See what the gospel calls us to do is it calls us to step out of the darkness of deception. Not just the darkness of deception that's in our world, but the darkness of deception that's in our own hearts. To step out of it. To step out of the futile attempts that we all engage in to build our own identity and our own goodness. And instead it calls us to step into the truth. To embrace Jesus Christ as the embodiment of truth. Because when we do, his sacrifice becomes ours. His goodness becomes ours, it becomes yours, it becomes mine. We no longer need to build our identity on the half-truths of performance and reputation. You and I no longer need to work for our acceptance. We can drop the act and own who we truly are, and when we do, we receive the gift of God's grace. The gift of adoption. We become Sons and daughters of the King. Friends, know that if you are His, if you are one of God's children, if you've been rescued by His grace, then you are called to live lives of gratitude. To speak truth, to embody truth in everything that you endeavor, to protect the honor of everyone, to protect the honor of your neighbor. To live lives that bear witness to the truth rather than bear witness to falsehood. Let's pray.